Welcome to another episode of the Trusted Advisor podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. Our goal on the pod is to accelerate the success of today's and tomorrow's leaders in the retail IT industry. I'm Jim Roddy back with you again. Thank you so much for joining us. In this episode, we'll focus on lucrative growth strategies for retail IT VARs, and our guest to help us tackle that topic is Rohan Mani, the Senior Vice President of Business Development at Shift4. Rohan, welcome to the pod. Good morning, Jim. Thank you so much for having me. No, always always a pleasure to talk with you. And so before we get going, Rohan, and, and talk about that important topic, I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about your tenure and your career path at Shift 4, because I find it both interesting and unusual. So there's been nothing but change in the payments industry, right? Anybody listening to this podcast who has interest, that's not news to them whatsoever, right? With acquisitions and a lot of uh, individuals jumping from one you know, payment company to another. But you've been with the, the greater Shift 4 organization going all the way back to the United Bank Card days in 2005. You were UBC's channel sales director, Harbor Touch's director of channel sales, Shift 4 assistant VP of business development and strategic acquisitions, and now you're the SVP of business development. Can you tell us a little bit about your unique success story? It's not just stability, but Shift 4 has had rapid growth. You've had rapid career growth, growth during that time. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I, I would definitely consider myself fortunate in that, unlike a lot of people in, in the industry, I have not had or, or any desire to really jump around. I think, it, I think it starts at the top, extraordinary leadership and vision, thanks to our CEO, Jared Isaacman. My, my path also ties me to the company in a very unique way in that I've known our, our CEO and, and actually the, one of the other co-founders, Brendan Lover, for in, in a previous life when we were younger. So I was very fortunate to just know the right people at the right time. But unlike everybody else back then, I ended up choosing a slightly more circuitous path to the payments industry. I started out as an ISO. I did that part-time while I was in college, had a passion for sales, had a passion for for making money and not trying to ask my dad for, for loans. So it was a very, uh, it's a very good industry. There's a low cost of entry. And so that's how I got started in the payments world. And then eventually worked on Wall Street doing something completely separate when I first graduated. But like most people in this industry, if you do it long enough, you'll start to see that recurring revenue grow. It becomes very lucrative, very attractive. It's a very attractive lifestyle. And I decided to put all of my focus into that. And then without, without I really wasn't doing it full-time for very long before our CEO decided to make me an offer and try and bring me in-house. And then that started kind of from the ground up, building a reseller channel, which then evolved into trying to get resellers to pick up a competing product. So that was a, a very a very unique conversation, but we found our niche and, and it worked really well. And thanks to some visionary acquisitions and, and some, I would say, masterful chess playing of putting the pieces in the right places on the board, we've been able to achieve really stratospheric growth and, and putting together pieces that, that work really well that it had never really been done before. Yeah, I'd say that is a good way to frame it in terms of it is a one-of-a-kind uh, situation, not just for yourself, but but for Shift4. And I, I actually had a similar conversation with Suzanne Davis, who's uh, been your coworker there for, for quite a while. She's an RSP board member, and she and I were just having a side conversation about something I talked about this interview, and I'm like, 
man, you've had like really good stability at that organization. Like that's hard anywhere, let alone uh, in the payments industry. And she named some of the factors uh, that you did as well that kind of go into to make this this situation unique. I also have to ask you before we talk about growth, I learned while doing research uh, for this pod that you played in Big Ten football at Northwestern from 99 to 2003. Can you t- tell us a little bit more uh, about that and, and your athletic background? Yeah, so I, I've always been an avid athlete. I grew up playing probably the, the trifecta of the most common sports, football, basketball, and baseball. I was was always a pretty natural athlete, and and I did not go to Northwestern and play for all four years. With, with that in mind, I was I, I attempted to walk on and, and found some success, although my success was fairly short-lived and uh, due, due to some injuries. But, I mean, that's a, that's a really fantastic school and a great organization. That uh, well, trying to play at that level is you're you're in for a world of uh, of hurt and and uh, j- just it's amazing how how gifted some of the guys are on those programs. But I consider myself really fortunate to even been, been considered for the opportunity and and it's, it, I look back with some very fond memories. Now, I, I have to ask you, because folks who can watch on uh, YouTube or know me, well, I wrote a book, published it a year ago, called The Walk-On Method to Career and Business Success. I'm a former Division II uh, basketball walk-on, but like always the first question I have for a walk-on is like, why did you do it, right? Like you, you weren't doing it for the money, and there were certainly plenty of other things to do, especially at a strong academic school like Northwestern. Like, why did you even give it a shot? What was the impetus behind it? Well, you know, I, I actually always had a passion for fitness and and uh, was always in the gym working out and things like that and ended up meeting a couple of guys who, who were on the team and then also uh, who introduced me to the right people if you wanted to, to go down that route. And, you know, I'm always a pretty adventurous person. I'm, I'm a risk taker and always willing to just try something new. And then having I had a pretty strong athletic background, I thought, why not try? And that's really just how it materialized. Again, like many things in life, kind of serendipitous timing. Yeah, absolutely. One one of the walk-ons in the book, he really he was a pretty good high school athlete, but um, he ended up going to Marquette, and he was thinking like, well, I'm never going to be able to do this. Well, then the team was having like a preseason barbecue, and they invited everybody, and he was there at the barbecue, and then he just sees the head coach, and he's like, hey, is there any chance I could play? And he's like, well, you can try out. And so one thing led to another, and he had a a four-year career again. Not a lot of playing time, but uh, wouldn't have traded for the world. Like I said, uh, completely serendipitous. That's for sure. Maybe a life lesson for all of us, right? Seize those opportunities uh, when when they're presented to you. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right. and work hard. Work hard, and uh, the harder you know the old saying: the harder you work, the luckier you get. So that's always been my my montage. One hundred percent. That was kind of the gist behind the whole book, right? In terms of ordinary people can become extraordinary, but it's uh, taking that big shot. It's uh, you know practicing, practicing, and and like you said, outworking everybody else. So well, and that'll that's a perfect segue into what we're going to talk about is from a VAR growth strategy standpoint. You know, we're not going to talk about that. You weigh this magic wand and everything's going to get better. Um, but let's dive into some of those. I want to hear. I have a list of VAR growth strategies that I want to share with you that I've learned over the years working with successful resellers. But I want to hear your top of mind thoughts on that topic first, Rohan. Like what strategies are working best for your resellers and what guidance do you and the Shift Ford team give to your VARs to accelerate their growth? So I know I'm going to sound like a broken record, but the number one thing, and this is, I feel compelled to say this because there's still a lot of people who don't do this, a lot of partners, and that's embrace payments. I know that it's it's it sounds like a broken record because we've been saying this for years, but payments are a natural fit and embrace the tech stack. 
and what you have to offer because not everybody ha has the tools or the the knowledge base to to go after a certain demographic of customers and take care of them in a way that at some point they're going to start to get on cruise control and, and that's where the payments are, are so effective in that the old saying we make money while we sleep you know people are always swiping credit cards 24 hours a day depending on what vertical you're in so that's that's probably the number one thing that i have to mention but in addition to payments you know the, the embrace the technology and the change that comes along with it because i think a lot of resellers are still stuck in some of their older ways and some some people have some legacy more antiquated software and we're finding more often than not that all of those bells and whistles aren't really what sells these days. It may be what eventually the customer's gonna ask for without a doubt, but initially to get that sale, there's a, there's a few a few key words uh, or, or hot topics that they're always looking for, you know, cloud and mobile and things like that. So I would always have a sharp eye out for, for what are, what's the latest and greatest, and also know how to sell against it if that's not what you're offering. So embrace the technology, try and look for what's the latest and greatest. But the other thing is also not to over diversify. I know this may sound a little counterintuitive, but the most successful partners we have are the ones who really for focus on their core constituents. They, whether it's hospitality, whether it's retail, and then even, even subdividing a little bit more down there, if you're in the hospitality vertical, how far up market do you wanna go? Do you wanna chase enterprise customers? Do you wanna, maybe you shouldn't waste your time on the real small food trucks and things like that. So the partners that really know their niche and where they fit, where their product sells best, and they embrace that, we've seen, I mean, the numbers I, I wish I could share are just staggering what I see some of the, the partners earning every month. And that's just from our side, not including all of their support contracts and everything else that they bill for. Yeah, no, I'd say a loud amen to that. You know, again, I serve as a business coach for the RSP as well. And that's the guidance that a lot of folks give. You know, the riches are in the niches and you want to make sure you don't become a generalist, right? The generalists are the ones who are fighting on price because they don't have anything specialized. And we also had, you know, in the middle of 2020, there were no trade shows, but the RSPA Academy uh, had our uh, symposium and we had Dan Jablons from Retail Smart Guys. And then we had Jeremy Julian from Custom Business Solutions Dan's all retail, Jeremy is all restaurant. And they were talking on there in terms of like, I'm not gonna beat the other person's knowledge at all. Like there's no way, like I'm way too far behind in order to do that. And so they, they do stay uh, in those lanes for sure. I am curious, you said embrace payments. And so I'm curious, can you talk about that a little bit more? Because I guess I just assumed that every reseller is doing payments to some degree. Are you talking about that they need to, you know, not just carry payments, but they need to do more? I guess just in general, can you clarify when, when you say embrace payments, what guidance are you giving uh, to resellers? Yeah, it's a great question and happy to elaborate. I think first and foremost, we do still have partners that payments are really are an afterthought they still try to remain payment agnostic. And I think that's a misstep. Not to say that they're wrong to do it, but just from the data that I've seen, those who really sell payments as part of their service and, 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 and put their company's name as the payments company or as the ones representing it, not trying to take this hands-off, arms distance approach. That's, the, that's the, the first kind of step into that. But then to go a step further and your entire business model, those that have modeled their business based on the recurring revenue they're gonna make off payments and actually offer to subsidize hardware, software, support contracts, pushing things like our Advantage program. Everybody has these types of cash discounting programs, which are now more common. And I know that 
you know, it's it's still new. It's still there's still a little bit of a gray area that that lives in. But the bottom line is, if you really take ownership of the payments and make it a priority, more than trying to get that service contract, even if you have to go out six to twelve months sometimes, and I know it's hard. Not everybody has the capital to carry that type of of, of longevity. But if you can, and if you're willing to take a little more risk that way, you're going to be really well off down the road. Got it. I, I, th I see what you're saying. I know I talk to some resellers where they say, I know somebody wants to buy all this stuff from me, but I tell them, if you don't do the payments through me and you don't go with the payment processor that I'm recommending, I'm not going to do the deal with you. Is that kind of what you're talking about when you say like, that's fully embracing payments? Yeah, that that's that's fully embracing payments and even learning to to forego some of the other support contracts. We do have a partner similar to that and and many like that, but one who will go as far as to waive some of the other recurring payments. You know, we have some really smart partners and they've even told us, you know, the, the, the recurring payments for things like tech support, that's expensive recurring revenue. And, and it's, it's almost makes more sense to just focus on the payments that you can control that you don't have to worry about collecting because that's a whole other side of things. The, the payments is very easy to collect from because worse comes to worse, you can even hold off their credit card receivable. So there are a lot of, there are a lot of strategic advantages to doing that. Got it. Thank you for clarifying that. Appreciate it. So the four growth strategies that I want to talk through with you are number one, adding new products and services. Number two, uh, a reseller entering a new market, whether that's going to be vertical or geographical. Number three is outspending the competition on marketing. And number four is ramping up an outbound sales force. Those seem to be the four core strategies that really accelerate a, a VAR's growth. And let's start at the top of that list. And so what are you seeing as some of the products and services that are driving VAR growth today? And what are they offering, I guess, beyond the core point of sale system to really increase their revenue? So I'm more focusing on, on the hospitality niche just because that's what a lot of our resellers focus on. But newer technologies like things like QR pay, for example, different ways that customers can pay at the table or mobile payments is really important. I think if you look at some of the initiatives in terms of trying to even offer some type of online web store to go with it, or maybe just to supplant some of the third-party ordering companies that take a lot of revenue away from you. No doubt you'd, you're going to need things like a, like a DoorDash and an Uber Eats and so forth. But if you have a, another way to harvest emails and things like that, so that eventually you can, you can teach the customer to do direct marketing, that's really advantageous because as their reputation grows and they get more customers, they're going to have a huge swath of uh, or a huge database that they can can direct market to. And so that's another really nice selling point for customers. Got it. Great. And I want to ask you next about entering new markets. But first, we're going to pause here to let our listeners and viewers know an RSP membership has never been more valuable or more affordable. Annual memberships for VARs start at just $250 a year for dozens of high value services including uh, RSPA Accelerate. The RSPA has launched the next generation of education for the retail IT channel with RSPA Academy Accelerate. This online system offers continuous learning, training, and development opportunities anytime, anywhere, from any device. For more information on RSPA Academy Accelerate, visit learn.gorspa.org. Also, thanks to the sponsors who support the RSPA community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsors are Blue Star and Shift 4, and our gold sponsors are Heartland 
and ScanSource. Finally, don't forget to save the date for two special RSPA events in 2022. Inspire, the Retail IT Channel's premier executive conference, is January 23rd through 26th at the Wyndham Grand in Clearwater Beach, Florida. And Retail Now 2022 is July 24th through 26th at the Gaylord Palms in Orlando. To receive the benefits of an RSPA membership or RSPA sponsorship, email membership at gorspa.org. All right, well, let's talk about entering new markets. And so, Rohan, do you see any specific verticals you want to point our listeners towards in 2022, verticals that are growing faster than others, or are you going to double down on saying, no, like ignore all the other verticals, just focus on what you do best? Uh, what, what advice would you give there? I, I would lean towards the latter. And that, again, goes with my simplistic approach on on being an expert in your niche and sticking in that lane. Because if you try to be a jack of all trades, you know, if you try to make a car that can handle as well as a sports car and carry as much as a pickup truck, that's a really difficult dichotomy to manage. And we we've always enabled people by having a retail product, by having a salon and spa product, by having a convenience store product. So there are verticals that that our partners have access to through our various other software suites, and that's going to keep growing. In fact, we we have Micros 101 initiatives and Hotel 101 initiatives, meaning we enable some of our partners to go after those verticals. And while they do take advantage of it from time to time, having all of these options available to them, we've seen it firsthand. The most successful ones are the ones who have not embraced all of those other options they've just stayed in their lane and focused again not to say that that's a wrong approach but just looking at what i've seen firsthand it's better to be to be a master of one thing than an amateur of of a dozen things so that would be my Got advice it. And is there kind of an, I guess, an in-between to that? Because, uh, you know, one of the uh, workshops that we're hosts that we're having at Inspire is called How to Win in a New Niche. And I guess one thing that we've seen is you can't just dabble in seven different niches, right? If you have your core one, you're going to add an adjacent one. You've really got to make sure you're focusing in there, right? You don't do with your left hand or your left pinky or something like that, right? Like you've really got to understand and dedicate the resources to it to become a specialist there, not just another player is that kind of what you're thinking as well like it's not hey don't ever get into another niche the niche you're in right now you're you know committed to that for the next you know 100 years is that kind of the approach to it where you've got to measure the niche and then if you're going to go after it you have to put real resources behind it yeah yeah absolutely we have some and this just i wouldn't say it's purely coincidental because there must be some type of a trend here but we have some really successful partners that that specialize in both hospitality and grocery and so while the two are related to food services, they are really are completely different in the type of software service and support. And that served a lot of them really well, especially last year during the whole COVID pandemic where restaurants were shut down. Some of my grocery guys had the best, best years of their life. <laughs> so yep. I, I think, I think there, is, there is a way to do it and to do it confidently and, and the right way. And that is, as you said, to, to really put two feet in the water and, and have a specialist on each side. Now, one of the other things we've seen people embracing because from an overhead perspective, it's not nearly as, as cumbersome, is, is online. So you can have your retail niche, whatever that is, but you can also have an e-commerce section. And you'd be surprised with e-commerce how you tend to get much higher margins. So you don't necessarily have to have a customer that's doing immense volume to have a really profitable customer. And again, there's almost no overhead and it's just a question of finding the right customers. And how do you do that? 
That's right. And one of the guidelines we give of breaking into a new niche is having a PDR responsible for that niche, a person directly responsible. And if you say, I don't have the bandwidth to have a person directly responsible, well, then maybe you need to build that up first before you go and, and try getting into a new niche and, and letting down your current market. So good. Well, yeah. if, let's uh, let's move on. Strategy number three, it's outspend the competition on marketing. And I'm going to give you a chance here to plug how Shift 4 supports the resellers from a marketing standpoint. And I'm not doing that because, you know, you're going to uh, Venmo me, you know, $100 or something like that in order to say that. But I help coach an RSPA VAR member in Chicago and he resells Shift 4. And the backbone of a lot of his marketing efforts are provided by Shift 4, you know, a lot of mailers and flyers and things of that nature. So can you talk for a few minutes about what marketing have you seen as most effective for VARs? Sure. So we've seen other competitors do this as well, but one thing we do really well is, is marketing and, and, and we provide a lot of different templates for our partners. So they don't have to, they don't have to generate the content. It is their responsibility to financially circulate it, whether they're doing e-blast through one of the various like MailChimp like services or doing actual mailers. We have a really large partner who requested a lot of marketing material from us and we were happy to provide it, but they wanted to actually physically mail out the marketing material. And that's one of their ways. So, and I've seen, I've seen people be, find success in every single way. So some people spend a ton of money on Google AdWords. A lot of people spend a ton of money on physical mailers and then other people actually own call centers. And all three really work. The question is, do you want to focus on one or spend a little bit on all three? Now, my, again, going back to what I've been saying, not to sound like a broken record, is those who seem to have the most success focus on one of those advertising verticals. And they just stick to it and they put all of their marketing towards it. No one person really, this is the great thing about this, is no one person really stands out as the winner. If, I, if there was, I would tell you. But some of our we have some of our largest guys that do e-commerce just marketing other guys who do physical mailers now in terms of outspending yeah that's that's tough because you are going to have to to spend some money to, to make money but by having sometimes we've offered people pre-designed websites having all of the marketing collateral designed in advance is really helpful so at least we try to help uh, ameliorate the the situation there yeah, this reseller uses uh, a lot of the mailers, like you said, the templates, puts his name on it, and he just has a regular drum beat where he sends those out, not to a thousand people, right, but he has a niche group that he's constantly tapping them on the shoulder, and then when he stops by, they say, oh yeah, we remember hearing about you, and sometimes they have the flyer right there, it's in their drawer, uh, or something like yeah. that, so uh, again, but he does it very, very consistently, it's not one of those things, and in, in, you know, I, I think a lot of our listeners know this, but some might not. You think I do this marketing strategy and I'm going to stare at my phone and wait for it to ring. Right. It's got to be it's really planting the seeds, but it's going out there. And I'm guessing you find that with your resellers, the ones who persevere and they're the ones who are very consistent. They're the ones who win the business, maybe not in that first month, maybe not in that first year, but it's just time after time. Is that, I guess, a big part of, you know, when you're outspending the competition on marketing, it's not just money. It's the time that you invest in it as well. The effort. Yeah. Yeah, and as you as you mentioned, consistency is key. You can't run a marketing campaign and, and, and judge the results based on one, two, even three months of of results. You really have to look at it in a much longer look at it like a marathon. And you know, you may spend don't spend all of your money running that first that first two kilometers of the marathon. You need to to have enough there to spread it out, even if it's not as much advertising as you as you would like to a larger group in one shot 
the consistency will will put you in a good place. That's right. Exactly right. Yeah, you got to tap them on the shoulder regularly. So, all right. So the final strategy, and we're saving maybe the most impactful one, but currently the most painful one for last, and that's ramping up an outbound sales force. And I say painful because before the pandemic, it was hard to hire and keep a good sales rep. And then during this labor shortage, it's only gotten more difficult. So, uh, Rohan, can you focus on how important it is for VARS to have an outbound sales team who's proactively outreaching to prospects instead of just relying on word of mouth? And then also, what are some of the best practices that you've seen for making that sales team as effective as possible? Yeah, it, it without a doubt, the largest producers are the ones that do have a sales team. And I'd, I'd actually start with the, the, the tail end of your question. And, and then how do you how do you get good salespeople? Because it's really difficult. With inflation and the rising cost to hire people, a lot of people just have, I think, have some muscle atrophy and they just, it's hard to get moving again. I'm a, I'm a momentum person. And once that momentum slows, it's really hard to get it going again. Not to say that you can't, but one of the things some of our most successful partners do is offer a piece of the actual residual income. I know it's it may not be the what you want to do, but the, the the highest producers treat their employees really well, and the residual offers that. Now, the one risk associated with that is once your employees get to a really significant residual amount, they tend to slow down. But those are also good problems to have. That means they've sold a lot. And it also allows you to offer a lower upfront salary because you can give them tangible goals and show them what you can achieve. You know, our reporting system, for example, and others have this as well, allows you to give somebody a, a, a rep code and you can run a report every month by rep and you can see what they earned and you can show them very clearly and easily how much they've earned and it's a residual so they're going to get it every single month so that's a really important i think that is from what i've seen that is the most successful way to get buy-in from your employees to get longevity and loyalty out of your employees now somewhat different than having an agreement with us where you're you're payments are guaranteed, you have some flexibility there as well. So you can certainly tell somebody if their production starts to slow because they get to a really high monthly residual number, maybe there are some adjustments that you can make. So we operate on a very, the same way we've done for 20 plus years, where if you're a partner, you're always going to get paid your residuals. But that's not to say that your agreements with your reps can't be a little bit different. That's right. And two points you bring up. One is for everybody who's listening to this, um, email me at jroddy at gorspa.org, J-R-O-D-D-Y at gorspa.org. And I'm happy to send you the link that we have. Uh, we did a, in, right in early 2020, a sales compensation study for VARs and talked about a lot of these things. And it doesn't say here's the one formula that works, but it gives you the variety of the different formulas uh, that folks are. And it'll tell you to the point that Rohan said in terms of who is providing you know, uh, residual payment over the long term, who's only doing it for a short period of time, like what are all the different ways to do that? But I guess a, a main point that you're making, Rohan, is, uh, and I wrote this down, there are no good, cheap sales reps, right? Like you're not going to get a bargain on somebody who's a good sales rep. If they're good, someone's going to offer them a lot of money. And quite frankly, if they're good, they're probably making a lot of money already. So if you think you're going to get somebody on the cheap, you are, but they're probably not going to be a good salesperson. That would be like, you know, predicting when lightning is going to show up. Um, I guess, well, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree 100%. You hit the nail on the head. You're, you're, you're buying, you're getting what you pay for in this instance in every, every way, shape, and form. 
you, you, that's not to say that you have to put a lot of money up front. And that is the beautiful part of offering them a piece of the revenue share. You can offer them a lower salary with the expectation that the long term, what they're going to make is significantly more. And they're actually going to have some type of vested equity with you. So that's worth a lot, a lot more than anybody else can offer. And it also Wonderful. enables them to yeah. feel more, get more reps because you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket with one rep. You can try hiring three or four reps. And then if somebody doesn't produce, it's a lot easier to pull the trigger and maybe remove them. And they'll probably remove themselves on their own because if they're not producing and everything is tied for, uh, to production, they'll probably end up uh, uh, moving on themselves. So again, our four growth strategies for retail IT VARs, adding new products and services, entering new markets, outspending the competition on marketing, ramping it about outbound sales force and kind of wrapped in all this is uh, uh, vertical competence, right? That's what Rohan said right from the get-go in terms of don't be dabbling in different areas. Make sure you're really good in every single one of these areas. And if you are going to outspend the competition on marketing, spend it on a specific market. If you have an outbound sales force, have them really focus on that niche market. So what well, Rohan, before we go, if our listeners and viewers want to talk with you to get more about, learn more about growth strategies, how should they connect with you? Sure. I, I think the easiest way really is email. It's it's my first initial and last name, Armani, just like the clothing line, but no A at the beginning, just the letter R and Mani, M-A-N-I at shift4.com, shift, like your keyboard, the word shift and the number four. And you know, on your keyboard, when you hit that, it creates the dollar sign. So that's <laughs> the, the person at shift4 who came up with that, because it's pretty cool. Uh, that is very good. I, I I never even made that connection, but very good. I, I appreciate that. And uh, are you planning on being at RSPA uh, Inspire and Retail now in, in 2022? Yes, I am. And, and many representative, representatives of our of Shift 4 will be there. We appreciate all the RSPA does. It's a fantastic organization and would highly encourage the, all of your listeners to to partake in the events that you offer. Well, thankful. One, uh, thank you very much. It's a wonderful community. And again, Shift4 has done a great job uh, supporting the community. Well, that does it for this episode of The Trusted Advisor. We hope you enjoyed our discussion. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and The Trusted Advisor podcast so you never, ever miss an episode. We'd also appreciate it if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. My personal philosophy is the more stars, the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the retail technology industry, check out the RSPA blog. You can find Find it at GoRSPA.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, big thanks again to Rohan Mani for sharing his wisdom with us today. Thanks also to RSPA marketing manager Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the retail IT ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, visit our website at GoRSPA.org. Thanks for listening and goodbye, everybody.